Could sheep milk be the answer to New Zealand's increasingly stringent on-farm regulations? Scotty Chapman, founder of Spring Sheep Milk, thinks yes, and all the while enabling farmers to continue the way of life they love. Dairy farmers for the last few years have been under a lot of pressure to change their land use. And, you know, they can grow maize or, you know, run young stock, etc. But what's been fascinating for us is when we talk to the farmers, they actually want to milk animals. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. And that's what they enjoy, handling animals, etc. So telling an existing dairy farmer to go and grow maize and become a crop farmer just isn't what they want to do. It doesn't drive their purpose. Whereas if you say instead of putting four cups on a cow, you get to put two cups on a sheep, which is cleaner and smaller and easier to handle, all of a sudden it's quite an interesting prospect, especially when it can make more money than they do on the bovine. It turns out us humans prefer sheep milk too. Put it in layman's terms, um, sheep and goats are a lot more digestible to humans than cow's milk are. We've done clinical trials, we began in rats, we've worked through, now we've done right through to full human clinicals, and it's categorically true that sheep milk is easier for humans to digest. Scotty shares how they get to know their customers anywhere in the world. We get so much data. The issue is the curation around that to work out what's important and what's not. But we really get to know in pretty much real time who are consuming our products and why. We cover a ton of ground in a short time in this chat. Let's take a listen. Welcome back to another episode of A Kiwi Original. Today on the show, I'm joined by Scotty Chapman, who is the founder for a company called Spring Sheep. And they're doing milk a very different way. This isn't dairy from a cow. Uh, This is milk from sheep. And there is a whole lot of benefits, both in the taste of it, but also in what's inside that milk. And we're going to be discussing that today, both in terms of domestic consumption and what the opportunity is uh, for exporting. So first of all, welcome to the show, Scotty. Thank you, Ryan. Nice to be here. So tell me about Spring Sheep. What's the what's the value proposition and why did you start the organisation? Yeah, sure. So Spring Sheep Milk Co. is bringing the goodness of New Zealand sheep milk to the world. And um, what we're doing is we've, we've found globally alternative dairy is really taking off at the moment. And that means, you know, beginning with A2 through to organic milk and then goat's milk and alternative plant-based milks. It's a really fast-growing category. And um, we found an opportunity. You know, New Zealand is so good at farming sheep. We've been doing it a little while, as you know. Um, we're also very, very good at dairy. And yet, for some reason, we hadn't put the two together and brought the goodness of New Zealand sheep milk to the world. And, and that's the mission that we're on now. That's super cool. So it's actually based in what we're already good at, right? Like we, at some point, I think it was uh, in the 20th century, we had around 72 million sheep. How many do we have now? And then as a subset of that, how many would you like to see that are actually producing milk for, you know, your organization, Spring Sheep? That's a good question, Ryan. We're after quality, not quantity here. So as you said, New Zealand was about 70 million sheep. I believe the number at the moment now is about 26, 27 million. Um, but those sheep are all meat-based, meat and wool-based, because that's what New Zealand's done. And if you set up a sheep milking industry, that's like taking Herefords and Angus and saying, let's go milk cows. You know, it doesn't work. So in our case, we brought in embryos and semen from all around the world, from other places that have been milking sheep a long time very successfully, and brought them back. We're only milking just under 10,000 sheep twice a day at the moment. But to put it onto context, if we were milking half a million of the 26 million sheep in New Zealand, if you're milking half a million, well, you'd have revenue around the somewhere around the two billion dollar mark in New Zealand of half a sheep. So it's a very, very different proposition to a meat and wool sheep. 
So that's a substantial you know, market size for in terms of contri- contribution to our gross domestic product. Uh, how do you shift what farmers expect sheep are good for? You know, they are good for merino wool. They are good for the the lamb meat. How do you knock on the uh, the farm gate and say, I've got a third way, and I think it's the best way out of all three? Exactly. I'm off a um, fifth generation sheep and beef farm myself, and the answer is don't go there. Um, historically, the best land has gone to the dairy cows. And when you think of the Waikato, et cetera, that's, you know, that, that was the first place that dairy became very big. And milking animals or milking cows, et cetera, it's a very different lifestyle to a, a meat and wool farm. So one, sheep have generally been on the tier two country. They're on the hill blocks. You know, your merinos are on the real mountains. That's where they love to eat. And to get good sheep milk, just like a cow, you need the best land. So we're not actually converting sheep farmers back or over to milking. We're taking dairy farmers who have a lot of environmental pressures and a lot of other pressures at the moment. That you know, we have a term called peak cow that we talk about. Where we think New Zealand now has the maximum number of dairy cows that we have. Um, so we're taking those farms in the middle of the Waikato that are currently milking cows, and they're converting to sheep, so they can milk sheep instead of cows on their properties. That's interesting. So there's actually a sustainability angle here. Really big one. So from a supply perspective, you've got a lot of, um, you know, I mentioned the Waikato that's been milking cows for 100, 150 years. Those initial blocks are very small, they're about 50 hectares. And a lot of them now have older kit on them where the milking sheds, et cetera, are older and run down and effluent ponds all need done up. And when you're only like 50 hectares, that's pretty expensive. And with the environmental pressures coming on at the moment, nitrogen caps, et cetera, it's really hard for these smaller dairy farmers to, to be able to make money off cow dairy. So we give them the opportunity to convert back to sheep and on that same footprint actually have a really profitable economic model. Okay, so as the the regulation and that compliance layer makes it less economic for the smaller scale dairy farmers, rather than exit farming altogether or uh, try and acquire more dairy farms to you know, give you economies of scale, you can actually shift across to sheep and keep the current scale, keep your current land. You're just milking a uh, sheep rather than dairy. Exactly. And dairy farmers for the last few years have been under a lot of pressure to change their land use. And, you know, they can grow maize or, you know, run young stock, et cetera. But what's been fascinating for us is when we talk to the farmers, they actually want to milk animals. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. That's what they enjoy, handling animals, et cetera. So telling an existing dairy farmer to go and grow maize and become a crop farmer just isn't what they want to do. It doesn't drive their purpose. Whereas if you say instead of putting four cups on a cow, you get to put two cups on a sheep, which is cleaner and smaller and easier to handle, all of a sudden it, it's quite an interesting prospect, especially when it can make more money than they do on the bovine the cow industry. I hadn't considered that, the actual, the cultural side of it to say, you know, if you're two generations or three generations, well, this is the, just the thing that you love doing, um, you don't want to stop it. You don't want to shift to a completely different lifestyle. Exactly, and we didn't pick that up either until we were halfway through. I mean, last year we we um, have three of our own farms and we do open days a couple of times a year to show people around. And you know, we had 850 people come through those farms last year, the majority dairy farmers or dairy support type industries. And we realised that these guys, that, that's their passion, that's what they do. And so it's an interesting, it's a very easy catchment to get more suppliers. Okay, so you've been the, the beacon for uh, this, this shift to um, milk from sheep rather than from dairy. And you know, you've got very... Um, you can say you've got very uh, strong credibility in that because you come from that as a as a place. How do you then, when you go to the market and actually want to shift consumer behaviour, um, what are the opportunities there and what are the challenges? 
you know, consi- shifting consumer behavior is a step too far for us. So we go to markets where consumers already understand alternative theory. So we began in Taiwan. We then went to Malaysia and Vietnam as our first markets. And you'll find on the shelves over there, one, we're in nutrition products anyway, as opposed to dairy. So to put that into context, instead of making milk or ice cream or butter, we make nutritional products. So in our case, probiotic powders or our main product being infant formula. And if you look at the infant formula shelves now, there's a lot of goat, there's a lot of speciality products. And all throughout Asia, the consumers um, find very little difference between sheep and goat. And goat is already an established play up there for infant formula. So we've been lucky enough in the early days, we used to say we rode the goat cows. And um, now that the alternative dairy is growing, there's a good opportunity for us to learn that category. And is that because of how um, you know goat and sheep uh, work differently within within the body in terms of how we digest it? it what, explain for the audience what that difference is between you know, dairy milk powder and something that doesn't have a uh, I don't I can't remember the exact term, but it's a it's either an enzyme or there's something where different bodies consume milk in a different way, isn't it? Right. It's inside the protein, but to put it in layman's terms. Um, sheep and goats are a lot more digestible to humans than cows milk. Um, we've done clinical trials. We began and we've worked through, now we've done right through to full human clinicals. And it's categorically true that sheep milk is easier for humans to digest than cows milk. And so that's the advantage we've got. So if you think about it, we're not competing with cow dairy. We're actually bringing more consumers into the market that currently are kicked out of the market because they cannot digest cows milk without issues. So that goes back to you saying, you know, you don't actually need to educate the market as such. The market is educated. It's just a matter of getting your products in the places where those consumers are likely to buy. Um, is that still all in, in physical shelving or is there, a, is there a digital element? How do you get your products to market in Asia? Yeah, it's both. And just to finish that one off, you know, the goat milk infant formula sure. at the moment is US $14 billion in size. You know, it's it's a massive market, and that, that's just yeah, that's just a little alternative dairy play. So it's a very big market we're playing, and it's very very scalable. Um, and sorry, your your next question on that one was what? I'm sorry. It was the so go to market part of it. If it's a 14 billion dollar industry, we're sitting here in New Zealand now. Uh, there's 10,000 uh, sheep that we've got. Uh, 10,000 gets up to what two billion potential uh, if we're to, to scale it. Then how do you get your product? Uh, into market, into Asia, and where are they finding it? Yeah, sure. So we began bricks and mortar on, um, you know, offline. Obviously, that's in Taiwan, Malaysia, Vietnam, as I mentioned, and that's primarily the channels we're taking into those markets. We've just begun into China, and we do that through New Zealand as well as China. So we're doing cross-border e-commerce, which is primarily online. Um, what's beautiful about online for small companies like us is it levels a playing field. So your large companies that have been established for a long time have a lot of the bricks and mortar shelves and you know they go through the traditional distribution systems. We can talk directly to our consumers. So you know we're doing live Facebook events, live other things at the moment, all the Chinese channels, et cetera. Um, I think you'll find over time we'll be more online than offline, but at the moment we have the luxury of being able to pay through both, which is really, really important. And you get to find out about the the consumers in Asia and when you go to China, is that is it is a two-way learning experience? It really is. I mean, we get so much data. The issue is the curation around that to work out what's important and what's not. But we really get to know in pretty much real time who are consuming our products and why. Um, one example of that is when we first began, we went for everyday type nutrition products, and yet our consumers fed it to the elderly or the young children 
because in their mind, that's what it was for. And being online gives you, you get a much faster read of who's consuming it, why, so you can act accordingly and make sure you target the appropriate consumer. What then do you do with, uh, like, over a period of time, you, you know, you kind of build up that, um, that data in terms of what's being sold where and for what reasons? Um, does SpringSheep then become a, a scale story, like as you start to understand more about the, the consumer? Or do you then branch out and use that path to market for very different products? Like, um, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, we're bringing the goodness of New Zealand sheep milk to the world. We're very clear on our purpose. We know what we do. And so as we go forward, I mean, we began as a business we thought would make a good profitable business out of New Zealand. What's happened over the last five years is it's actually an industry. You know, we've had really good support. We're half owned by, um, well, my company, which is a private company that has a lot of other investors and then half owned by a state-owned enterprise, Amu. And um, we thought we were setting up a little business. This has four legs and is going to get big, but it will get big in sheep milk only. We will not go anywhere else. We'll bring the goodness of New Zealand sheep milk to the world because we have an amazing provenance story. You know, there's sheep milk from, you know, there's 2 million milk and sheep in France. There's 3 million in Italy. There's a couple of million in Spain. There's a lot of them out there. But we have a New Zealand story around quality, authenticity, prominence that we can hold. And, you know, a lot of the people behind us, we're all exasperate. We understand how to create value in brand. And so rather than just competing globally with a commodity product, we're actually doing a zesper, if you like. We're greenfielding this and creating real value through a brand. And that's what the New Zealand story can bring to this. Wow. That's super exciting because as, I, as you're talking there, I feel like I'm hearing the almost the genesis of an entirely new story for New Zealand. The New Zealand Made Kiwi trademark is relied upon by over 1,200 New Zealand businesses to gain a market origin advantage in the markets they operate. Check to see if you're eligible at buynz.org.nz. product just for export markets this is a product that kiwis are going to get to taste as well that's right i mean infant formula is something that all kiwis use as well or many do um while we never we absolutely agree breast is best sometimes you need support on that one and you need to have infant formula and our product is absolutely made for kiwis in that sense so you won't find a kiwi going out and drinking milk uh, sheep milk every day it's just not part of our culture but certainly for infants that have digestive issues it's one solution that could potentially be very very good for them and as our country becomes more multicultural, that uh, that challenge or that opportunity, depending on which side of it you're on, uh, will only grow. It will open up. At the moment, we find it's easier to sell to markets that are larger and understand the benefits of sheep, goat, milk already than trying to launch it here. But as, as you mentioned, we saw us doing sampling here. We are getting kiwis slowly over the line. It's just a it's just a long, slow play. But also, that's where our Chinese shoppers, et cetera, our cross-border e-commerce, they're looking there as well. How has this uh, COVID-19 interruption or disruption in, uh, in travel affected uh, spring sheep? You know, have you, what's been the workarounds or has it mean no change at all? You know, how, how have you managed to, to cope with that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, from a logistical perspective, obviously it was hard on the short term with delays and shipping and things like that, documents. But, you know, that's all worked through from the first round of that. 
um, from a demand perspective, demand just went up because as soon as China had got through their first wave of COVID, um, demand for New Zealand products, demand for high-value nutrition products went through the roof. So the little bit of stock we had left was sold very, very quickly. Um, going forward, I'm cautiously confident that because the demand is there, we'll be fine. Um, our farms are essential services, so they keep working anyway. What will be difficult is in the medium term, you know, myself and a few of my team are up in Asia every month. It's just what we do. What we were into January of this year. I'm not worried about our business that already exists, but creating new business, getting new customers set up. You know, when you go up for a week's trip, you have one or two customers that you know you're doing a deal with and going to see, and then you get new business on first base and second base and third base and get things going along the way. What concerns me now is we're not doing that. No one is that's expert. Hmm. So existing channels, no problem, very strong. But the innovation and the new products and new markets, et cetera, they'll just be a little bit slower. So it's just going to be different. Yeah, I think that's a hard um, part that a lot of we're all struggling with is that, um, you know, digital is great, but there's something about being in market and uh, just building those relationships face to face. You can continue relationships digitally, but I think for building them or particularly for specific milestones like initial uh, introduction or signing of contract or first major order, those things done in person cement things for decades to come. Absolutely. I agree completely. You know, we use data a lot. Data is incredibly important to give you the landscape and then you have to go on gut. And I think when you're dealing by Zoom or Microsoft Teams, you, you don't get that gut feel. So the new, as you mentioned, the new relations are really hard. Existing's are fine because you already know where you are. Um, just a, a question on, you know, back to the New Zealand part of it. What do, um, what would you need in terms of support from New Zealanders or, or what do you want New Zealanders to know about spring sheep? That uh, that's going to help you along on your journey? Yeah, I mean, New Zealand Inc. as a whole has been fantastic to us. We get huge support from MPI. We get a lot of support from the agribusiness industry, full stop, be it dairy or other. Um, it's really, really interesting. I think from a New Zealand perspective, biodiversity is really important. And one of the things that we can bring is diversity around dairy, diversity, you know, get away from peat cow. Um, we have improvements around soil around the nitrogen leaching etc it's a lot less than dairy so from a kiwi perspective it's just nice for kiwis to know there's some good news stories out there and there's new industries being created that are not only good for the consumers in the market through easier to digest but they're fantastic for new zealand one because they're creating jobs in the regions and two they're better for the for the environment and the other thing we haven't talked about is our animal welfare standards which is so much higher than any other so there's real benefits it's something kiwis as a whole should be proud of having as an industry that's fantastic, Scotty. Look, I appreciate your time today and for sharing where you're heading with Spring Sheep and, and the value you're bringing back to New Zealand at opening up this market for us um, and accessing some of that established market overseas so you can bring back some of those export receipts. And you know, I wish you all the very best and, and all the success that possibly can come your way. Thank you very much, Ryan. Really appreciate the opportunity to share the story. That's it for another episode of A Kiwi Original. Thank you for listening. If you got value from this, please share it with someone you know or on your social media to help build the audience for these people and businesses that we are featuring. Once again, thank you and see you on the next episode.